and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Wilsh, your host. I'm back in Maine, as you see, my place is a little messy. But anyway, uh, I'm glad to be here again. And uh, last week we were off because uh, uh, the guest that I had planned was a little evasive. I couldn't get a hold of her. And so I just felt it was better to run the uh, a, a rerun of Dr. Leo Sprinkle. Uh, I thought that was a good a good show to run. That would aired first back in 2015. If you haven't heard that yet, it's an interesting one. Uh, some things seem a little out there for some people, but he was quite an amazing researcher and a great guy. And uh, so in this case, we missed a couple of blogs by Charles Lear. Um, the last week's one was UFOs over the Indian Point nuclear plant. Um, that happened back in uh, at New Year's Eve back in 1982. And the uh, the blog this week, Truckers Report, uh, attacked by bird-like creatures from a UFO. And uh, this was actually in 1984. Uh, Charles goes back and takes a really good look at some very interesting cases. Tonight, we have Ben Hansen and Tony Angiello. Uh, they are going to be talking about the Lonnie, Samo Lonnie Zamora incident. Some people call it that. A lot of people call it that the Socorro incident, and uh, let's see, the government was involved, CIA, FBI, the military. It's never been debunked. Uh, Ronnie Zamora, Lonnie Zamora was the number one reason uh, because he was such a solid guy, such a solid witness. We're going to go over that case, uh, one of the top cases. And it's the case that uh, Alan Hynek decided that uh, maybe there was really something to this UFO thing. That's the one that turned him from being a total skeptic to someone that uh, people could count on for years to take a good look at what was happening. I'm going to bring our guests in now. Hello, guys. Hey, I'm Ben Moss, not Ben Hansen, but uh, I was Did on I the call show. you Ben Hansen? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's because I said, I'm so sorry. That, uh, well, uh, yeah, that, I don't know. We were just talking about him. I right, just mentioned his name before the, uh, off, off air. I'm really sorry about that. But uh, anyway, you could almost body double for him, though. You look a little bit like him. Yeah, uh, we were, yeah. I was on the show, uh, the seventh, uh, uh, first season, seventh episode about Socorro. So uh, anybody that has that. I think Ben Hansen made you look like a midget. UFO witness. He's 6'5". <laughs> I'm 6'2". But uh, yeah, yeah UFO witness, first season, episode seven, had Socorro in there. Yeah. yeah. So where are you guys? Are you in Virginia now? That's Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. We met a number of times once at Ray Stanford's house. And uh, I think we met twice at a conference. Yeah, we met at two different conferences, one in Cherry Hill and one uh, out in Phoenix. But anyway, always it was always a lot of fun hanging out with you guys. But I knew right from the beginning when we uh, talked the very first time you had an interest in the Socorro case and really, you know, chasing it down. And uh, I believe... The very first time we met, you had just stopped by Socorro, uh, New Mexico, which was, I don't know how many hours away from Phoenix, but uh-oh, what happened? Uh -oh. It was kind of blurry to me, so I was trying yeah. to clean my lens, sorry. All right. All right. So let, let's talk about, first of all, uh, I have a lot of new people on the show listening. So let's talk about first who you both are and how you got interested in the case. And we'll, and then I want to hear uh, for the again for the new people and... Uh, I'd like to hear what happened that night in April of 1964, that day. Yeah, so uh, I met Ben uh, on a chance meeting, a business meeting, as a matter of fact, and we got to talking about UFOs. And uh, even though I was already a member of MUFON at the time since uh, the mid-90s, and I was also an investigator that hadn't really done too much, Ben was actively involved as a chief field investigator for Virginia, so he got me pulled back in to move on. I became the assistant state director and we started doing cases together. We stumbled upon the Socorro case um, by listening to James Fox at a 2015 Cherry Hill, 2014 Cherry Hill conference, which uh, sent us into this interesting rabbit hole that is the Socorro landing in 1964. The one you were at. Yeah. 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 That We have that photo with... Um, Gosh, me, Ben Hansen, you, uh, Tony Gataldo, uh, Tony Gataldo, James Fox, yeah. and um, 
in our directory guy. Um, what's his name? <laughs> it's been so long, but yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's what started the journey. Was there? Um, so I'm similar. I <clears throat> I've been into UFOs all my life, and uh, was investigator for MUFON, chief field investigator for MUFON, and then uh, you know we have we've. I formed uh, the UFO guys LLC. So on Facebook with the UFO guys, we post uh, what we think are real videos uh, of something anomalous up there. And uh, we got started. At, James Fox had mentioned uh, Socorro and showed that clip with Ray Stanford in it. And then we promised we'd find this footage. And then we went on a journey to find this footage of this uh passenger who had been going through Socorro, New Mexico at the time and, and was went to the site right after the landing of the uh, craft in Socorro, New Mexico in 1964. So that started the whole process. And uh, I, wow, it's been seven, eight years, nine years now that took a lot of research, five years of writing and, and three visits to Socorro to write that book. And uh, what was your your purpose in general for you know Ray Stanford has the uh, the go to book uh, that everyone knows, but it it was only had one printing. Is that one of the reasons you you wrote the book? Well, we just happened to be working uh, on a lot of different angles with the case, and by uh -huh. visiting, uh, we got to interview a lot of interesting people. Those that who knew Ray very closely others who didn't, uh, those, there's a lot of cases that had some speculation, but interesting nonetheless. And we incorporated a lot of that into the book with also the, you know, we're backing it up saying that this is just hearsay, but other evidence that we have has a lot of backing behind it. Part of it. Yeah. Part of it was I ran across, uh, I won't mention any names. I'm trying to be nicer as I get older, but part of it was a, a blog and a, and a site that got a lot of views about a guy that proved that this whole thing was a hoax and, and gave the most ludicrous statements. I, you know, just, and I actually talked to the person through uh, email. I think we had a phone call, but, you know, when I talked to him, he admitted he had never been to the site. He didn't even know anything about the site. He uh, didn't know anything about the terrain. So he was telling me it was a balloon being towed by a car you know, in the desert with all these rocks and hills, you couldn't drive a car more than four feet from the site. But, uh, and so when I started seeing that history was changing the tenure and people were going, wow, wasn't that a balloon? Um, yes, yeah, right. Yeah, as we dug into it, it was like, let's, let, let's see if it was a balloon. And the further we dug, and, and Ray helped us, wrote, Ray helped write a chapter in the book about the symbol and contributed information. And it was a continuation of Ray's book basically updating the Rob Mercer's files that he found on oh, yeah. the list that came from Project Blue Book. It was 280 pages of Socorro uh, information. So we had a lot of new stuff that Ray hadn't seen before. So it updated everything. And I think part of the thing mm -hmm. that really made it hit home when we were trying to figure out what it was, was all the newspaper articles through this time frame in the general area that were egg-shaped craft cited by military Several at Hollerman and White Sands Air Force Base, cited by military personnel. Um, just a lot of egg-shaped craft in the area in this time frame. This wasn't a one-off. And then you had La Madeira also, where it, where it seemed like the same thing happened. Just didn't have time to investigate that also. It's hard to investigate a case that, that that's that old. Right. Yes. And I know the symbol was something that was obscured purposely, um, just to be able to to uh, go back to it if someone said they saw something and they said, yeah, I had this symbol or that symbol. But I mean, you have the hats uh, <laughs> with, the, with uh, the supposed real symbol on it. And, but everyone seems to get that wrong. Whenever you see it on like Unsolved Mysteries or something like that, they have the original symbol that Lonnie Zamora was supposed to you know, say or let out there. The umbrella. Basically. Right, the umbrella. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because that symbol could have just been temporary on the side of the craft. It could have been like an iPhone. You know, you have the screen <laughs> blank versus having something come on it. Yeah. It's very yeah. possible that whatever insignia was on that craft, it went away just like a screen, just turned the light off. Which is why you, when you see or hear about reported egg-shaped craft, you generally don't hear about anything like a symbol being on it. Yes, hmm. very rare. Maybe it's very, it's so rare that it could be like I said, some sort of distress to alert 
others, hey, I'm over here, I need help. Uh, we're not just parked, we're, we're broken down. But credit to Ray, uh, Ray Stanford, you know, when he was in touch with uh, Captain Holder's son, Captain Holder was an uprange White Sand commander from White Sands, who came down, investigated the case right away. And his son told Ray, he said, yeah, my father told me that they had Lonnie sign a symbol they kind of made up on the spot. That way, if anybody reported that symbol, they knew they were making it up because the real symbol was an inverted V with three bars. And um, we got new, a couple of witnesses that Ray had never talked to or, or had never talked before that met with Lonnie and, and, you know, drew things. And Lonnie would kind of point to something. It was always the three uh, bars with the inverted V was the symbol that Lonnie really saw in the craft. But he was told not to say anything. You know, I don't know. I was saying about the symbol. So this all started. Let's uh, let's go through the case for those who have not heard it before. It all started in in April. Well, I forget the date. Nineteen sixty four with a high speed chase of a convertible. Let's go through the whole thing. So police officer Lonnie Zamora was on random patrol on April twenty fourth, and that means that uh, there's no designated place to really park or be. Nobody would know exactly where he's at or know his schedule. He sees a speeder go by. And he recognizes the gentleman. He's a younger man, and he's he's known to speed through town. So Lonnie goes after him. Uh, while he's in pursuit and near the gas station um, where uh, another family was coming uh, with uh, four people in the car, uh, Lonnie lets the speeder go. And what he sees in the sky crossing the road is this thing that seems to have flames coming out of it. And he thinks it might be an airplane coming down. And he knows there's a dynamite shack over over where the direction that he sees it going. So he takes his brand new police car off road and really has to gun it up this hill and cause damage to the vehicle just to get up there. Once he reaches the top from about no more than like 100 feet away, he can see there's two figures in white, what he describes as white coveralls. And he knows how tall the bush that they're standing uh, next to is so he can tell approximate how high the heads of these figures would be uh then he continues to move towards that uh object and he loses sight for him for just a moment and as his car dips down and comes back up to this ravine this arroyo uh he's no further than about 30 feet and he gets as close as possibly 15 to 20 feet from the vehicle which is um juxtaposed to what's written in the air force report and they're they were trying to say that he was like 300 feet 150 feet of the closest and that's not necessarily uh, true he's much closer um so he, when he actually gets out of his car he can hear a door slamming shut that he describes it kind of like a submarine hatch uh shutting and, and then locking and then the flames begin to come from underneath the vehicle again slicing a, a bush in half and then it raises an elevation to something about what the vehicle looked like egg-shaped craft we said we established that <laughs> um and also the egg-shaped craft that was kind of tilted forward like you know you, you expect a symmetric vehicle to be level and it seemed like the front of it was tilted down like it's bowing down there you go that's right. a good shot mm -hmm. and uh so immediately i'm thinking to myself well there must be something wrong with the thing um not to mention that the the people in the car said that this object nearly took their antenna off because they were uh, making comments to the owner of the, of the gas station that uh, their airplanes fly extremely low. And this right. is what happened. Yeah. You know? yeah. uh, and nobody's ever been able to chase those people down, right? That's right. Yeah. They've never come forward in another situation, ever talked about it. It yeah. probably, you know, if you That's weren't that interested at the time and you just didn't see the headline because it went around the world headline, but if you weren't right. in UFOs yeah. and you just thought it was something weird, you might not have heard about this story for 20 years, you know, until something came up again. But, yeah, so it's just the thing is that when we looked into it and we were trying to figure out, you know, you look for any plausible explanation for what happened and basically eliminated everything. And the fact that the Project Blue Book and the Air Force still has it as an unknown is the – is the answer to the case it's an unknown but you know captain holder was up range white sands commander he knew all the black projects he knew everything that flew 
the radar wasn't turned on at the time even, but nothing was flying that evening. It was a brisk 45-mile-an-hour wind in the desert at about 5.45 at night that this object flew into. And so, you know, we actually talked to the balloon, the national headquarters for balloonists in Albuquerque, and they said nobody would ever take off at that time of day into that type of weather in a balloon because it would, you know, wouldn't go well. And so, um, you know, as far as breaking down the, the hoaxes, it, it got to the point where if you just kind of look deeply into the case, you realize that it couldn't be these, these things like a hoax or a tin can or fireworks or you know, something along those And lines. also, each time we visited, we, were, we felt that we were there during very similar conditions. The wind was very consistent. It was very strong and uh, and blowing in the opposite direction of its travel, so that tells us that the winds in that area are pretty pretty steady, um, and the perlite mill also um, in that direction it was reaching um, supersonic speeds um, as the second police officer that Lonnie called in uh, for help arrived. Now, one of the things when the object took off, you know, the flame came out, and it it rose up, you know, not real high, but it rose up. Then the flame went out and then the object started moving. Now, was there, I know there was the sound with the flame, but was there a sound after that? Yeah. It seemed like a second engine was engaged when it was completely silent. And that's how he described it. It went from being a roaring, thunderous um, uh, flame to no flame, no sound and moving at supersonic speeds away and at an angle of 45 degrees. Did Lonnie himself claim that he saw this thing go all the way until it disappeared? That's right. Mm -hmm. He did, yeah. And Wow. I, I know that you said that there were other reports of, of egg-shaped craft, and, would, and you said the military actually spotted something? Right. So even as of late, a lot of the stuff they've been calling the Tic Tac seems to resemble um, an egg shape, so to speak. Right. And I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Right. So that, that could very well be in the same family. There is a, a similar type of craft reported in France and Italy, just all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, we're not talking aerodynamics here. You know, that's that's the thing, uh, you know, and I I don't think that's part of the equation anyway, myself, how these things get to where from point A to point B has anything to do with aerodynamics. I don't think so. But I mean, that's speculation, of course. Well, yeah, a lot of exotic physics seems to indicate that shape and aerodynamics uh, do not matter when you're yeah. talking about exotic propulsion that creates electromagnetic fields and therefore... Uh, those rules no longer apply. Now, uh, when when Lonnie saw these, these uh, he said they looked like children, this, the height of children. They they appeared to be startled when they saw him watching them, right? Is That's that, right. They did not expect yeah. uh, anybody to be following them, or especially not to appear that closely so quickly. Um, some postulate that maybe they were looking for something. Uh, he said they were looking up and underneath the craft, uh, possibly looking down. Um, there were some uh, hearsay stories that were pretty fantastic that we heard that uh, said that Lonnie perhaps collected something that looked like a credit card-sized circuit board. It was sent away. It never came back kind of thing. We could not find any actual corroborating evidence to support the story, but you hear stuff like that. Well, I know there was a, I believe a police officer was taking images right away of the landing pads, uh, impressions, and they confiscated his camera. The right. military did, right? And Yeah, that was and, Ted, Ted Jordan always had a camera with him, and he took a bunch of photographs uh, of the uh, landing site, and then the um, government came in and said, you know, we need to take your camera. We'll give you back the footage. And he never got the footage back. And, you know, we have him in our presentation on cameras talking about it and saying, you know, they'd, they'd never give him my damn footage back. But um, it was confirmed. And uh, Ray had uh, some film he shared with us where he's talking with Dr. Hynek, who was worked on this case for Blue Book, where Dr. Hynek admits that the, the uh, film was fogged due to radiation.
And the second day, there was no radiation detected there. So that tells you that whatever the radiation was from probably the blue flame that knifed into the ground underneath the craft, it was kind of a weird exotic you know, form of propulsion because it was there one day and then gone the next, which is not usually not how radiation works. Hmm. So, and, and Lonnie was close to it. So if it had been anything like a propellant driven engine, you know, earth made rocket engine, it, it would have cooked him. He was 30 feet away. So, you know, it wasn't a, a chemical reaction rocket. It was something as Ray would say, you know, the, some type of um, plasma or something, you know, at the speed of light knifing to the ground because it didn't dig a big hole either. It vitrified uh, the sand in the glass, which takes, I think 2300 degrees to do that so that was evidence that carol and um what was her husband's name lorenzo Lorenzen. yeah lorenzo oh, Lorenzen. yeah, yeah they, they picked up um and they, the government we found documents where they said they you know haven't analyzed but never heard the results <clears throat> isn't that interesting now uh this is for an opinion this is a question for an opinion I guess it's my opinion. It seems like something that would be throwing flames out of it seems kind of primitive for what the object, you know, you would think the object could do. And I just want your feedback on that. You know, I always felt that uh, we're evolving. They're evolving. They could have been here long before us. And maybe they evolved away from that. And we don't see that kind of thing anymore. Uh, in fact, Remember when uh, we used to get a lot of those nuts and bolts craft, like uh, Walters out of Florida? Uh, it seems to me like there was an era of artistic and beautifully designed craft. And now we're seeing like over-evolved triangular boring craft and lights and orbs. <laughs> and, and I'm saying bring back the classical artistic ones. Yeah. yeah. It's a new model this year's model. Yeah. Right. I don't like the new models. You know, I I think that, and this is just an opinion, but it, it's kind of like when we go to the moon, we have one craft as its engine to get us there, but the one that lands has a completely different engine. Yeah. And so the, this could have come out of a bigger craft, but the smaller engines that come out, and it seems to be evidence by some of the video we have, is showing a more terrestrial propulsion, still exotic, but meant to fly in atmosphere. So there's a big difference in an engine that flies in space and one's got to go through an atmosphere without, you know, giving telltale signs that you're there for one thing. So mm -hmm. it could just be, I mean, a blue flame knife into the ground and then going off into the craft silent for a minute, hovering. That's still pretty exotic technology, even to this day. Yeah. No, no, it, it makes sense. I mean, you know, uh, I never really looked at it that way, but you're right. It could, they may have different propulsions for different, situations you know and this atmosphere may be different than some other planet's atmosphere wherever they go or wherever they're from may be totally different and just yeah. to be the boy scout prepared <laughs> so uh so what are some of the interesting things that you know you you're going through you're doing this research and i i know you mentioned earlier about the documents that were found, you know, on Craigslist that Mercia found, and it was a great thing. Um, and I'm sure, I believe Dave Marler has those now. Uh, but what are some of the interesting things that you uncovered that were basically unknown back when this was uh, first written about? Up to you. Well, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, a lot of the documents, uh, I remember I talked to a uh, Kevin Randall had a little bit of a beef about the fact that these weren't official Blue Book documents, and he was right about that. But they're Blue Book files written by Blue Book employees that just didn't make it into the blue, you know, the final document. But some of the things were that Captain Holder was surprised that 10 years later he was getting calls from the Joint Chief of Staffs asking him, you know, what do you think that thing was? He's like, why the hell are they calling me 10 years later? about this case and why was there so much interest you know the white house was interested years later and, and you know hector quintanilla the head of blue book told him that was the one case he was so mad he couldn't solve it because he got a top secret clearance to go he said i'm going to find this craft in a hangar somewhere because there's a lot of bases around there you know albuquerque and white sands but he uh he never found anything he had clearances to go anywhere there was no such craft 
and he wrote, he said, you know, I was just frustrated about it, but on the camera, he'd say, there's nothing to it. it you know, it's, you know, it's not from this, it's not from another world, but he never tells you where it's from because he didn't know where it was from. Right. And do we know how much the FBI and the, the CIA, right? Wasn't the FBI and the CIA and the military, how much research did they do? How many people did they interview? Do we know any of that? Um, Reagan interviewed quite a few people uh, in those days. I mean, you know, there were a lot of witnesses that ha that heard it, but he didn't he didn't have the time to to reach all of them. But there were like hundreds that say they heard the sound, uh, and the reason they didn't see it is because the way that sound travels and the way that it would reverberate off of the arroyo. And there was a lot of contention about that. Um, and you had to pretty much, you know, learn a little bit about uh, sonic and acoustics in order to understand that explanation, how hundreds could hear it in the direction that it wasn't really quite visible. But mm. I can understand why people said they heard it, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was just a lot of documents that showed interest. The FBI, of course, said, you can't tell anybody we were here, and that became part of the documents, and then it came out that, yeah, <laughs> the FBI was there. And I guess the CIA was formed then, but uh, I'm not sure. But uh, Air Force was involved. Joint Chief of Staff, so the White House was involved. Um, there was a lot of a lot of interest in the data they got. Like we've never seen the vitrified sand reports, the samples of the you know underneath the craft, and other things that were heard, heard to be taken. Uh, plant samples because a bush got cooked, sliced in half by the blue plasma beam. But um, there was a lot of for them to be so interested ten years later tells you that they really they didn't have a clue what it was. And they really, really wanted to know what it was because if it's nobody else's, then then they had a real problem. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about this case in particular. Like it's it's never been there's never been the answer for it. And you know, Lonnie uh, went the rest of his life kind of regretting that it happened to him. You know, he was getting badgered. You know, uh, people wanted to know, he wanted to talk to him. And uh, uh, I'm sure he wished he hadn't gone after that kid racing away, away to begin with. And his life would have been so much different. But um, I don't think he ever appreciated the interesting sighting that he had. You know, I don't think that he was the type of person that would want to have a sighting like that. That's right. And, yeah. That's what he said. He said, if I could do it all over God. I wouldn't have said anything, but that, you know, that's what also solidifies the, him as a witness. He was, he had no reason to tell this story in the first place and he wasn't interested in UFOs and it really changed his life, you know, cause we, we talked to, you know, his daughter and friends of his and it, he never changed his story. Unlike some witnesses who embellish as things go on, Lonnie's story stayed the same yeah. all the time. And you could tell, and his family said he was never the same after this. And hmm. all the evidence, we looked into every possible explanation, Black Project, uh, Lunar Lander. You know, the Lunar Lander is thrown out there a lot, even by a yes. PhD scientist in New Mexico State. I won't mention him either. But if you do a little homework, you'll find that the Lunar Lander didn't fly until about nine months later. It flew on a tether. Uh, the first three tests, I think, ended with the pilot ejecting before the thing blew up and fell on the ground. And so right. to say that it was 33 miles away from Hollerman, uh, you know, flying in Socorro uh, with a helicopter holding it to a cable is just ludicrous. But, you know, there's a guy out there with a big scientific background says there's a lunar lander. So, you know. That's right. Let's talk about for the other people that are claiming the hoax. And. I believe it was Colgate. Do I have that right? Yeah, it was Colgate. He was a professor yeah. at a nearby college, and he had these students, and he claimed that the students during uh, exam season were the ones perpetrating uh, this hoax. Uh, so that couldn't have been further from the truth because all these students, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't vacation time. It was it was time to study and, 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 and do these tests. So. His uh, that whole story fell apart very quickly, and Ben even chased down some of the some of the people that were claiming uh, this story, and that one of them was ill in the hospital and dying, and uh, the other one just refused, and he said it wasn't true. I don't know why anyone's coming after me, and I, I never said it was true, and 
this kind of thing. Yeah, not to disparage Kobe, but you know, doing a little homework on him, he was the uh, kind of like a party professor, like to hang out and maybe smoke some doobies with the students and stuff. But he, I think, he said this story, and then was embarrassed that he had said it because he just kind of blurted out it was a student hoax, and he said he said it was a candle and a bag or a candle, you know, with a flame, and. Um, like a Chinese... Uh... There was another guy later that I found a document from who's the president of the same uh, college there who said he looked into it and that's that wasn't true at all and that Colgate was just trying to cover up something he said that he had no evidence for. So the three students, I actually found their names. One of them, as Tony said, was sick and one of them finally communicated and said, look, I don't know why Colgate... Because he apparently gave up some names. He said, I don't know why Colgate threw me under the bus, but, you know, we were in class, we were on exams. And if you look at the story, there's no way a student could have lured Lonnie a quarter of a mile up a hill that took him three tries to get over into the desert to that specific spot to launch a candle and balloon or, yeah, it's just ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, the only reason he turned up that way is because he saw the light, right? guy hey, Lonnie because of the nature of Lonnie I have a whole chapter we have a whole chapter on that about the nature of Lonnie Zamora he was such he was a nice guy a caring guy uh, an officer and a family man he thought some type of vehicle was in trouble so when he saw the blue flame crossing over the sky he was thinking okay that could be a plane crash and then when he first saw the craft which was white egg-shaped he thought it was an overturned vehicle or a camper or, you know, all the logical things you think of in 1964. But the fact that of his nature with a brand new police car that he went there, he really thought somebody was in trouble. And, you know, that's mm -hmm. just how that whole thing began. It's just a lot of things had to come together for this whole thing to play out. And then mm -hmm. his encounter was like two minutes and 30 seconds. But, we also found the dynamite shack where it was uh, out there. Yeah, so. we found that, oh, does that still exist or no, like the, the base yeah. of it? Yeah. Yeah. From the the slab, yeah. yeah. So we were able yeah. to corroborate that that did exist. That was there. Yeah. And no, I, I, I had a sighting that you know I Tony unfortunately didn't see it, but we were there. I don't know if it was the first or second time. I swear to God, Tony was. We're, I think we were measuring the how far uh, the creosite bush was from where Lonnie saw the creatures, but there was this thing that was about this big. And it was shaped like a tic tac. This happened before those tastery reveal, like I think I call it that. But it just was zipping along the ground and came through the aurora we were in at probably like a hundred miles an hour. And it was ground terraining, so it was going up and just went off out of sight. And <laughs> like lightning, yes, yeah, like do you see that? And nobody else saw it because it happened. <laughs> I was looking up at the sky. Yeah. 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 No, I know um, you know, there's that that area had been inspected by Ray, you know, Ray was there and you know, the story about the rock in the, uh, where the impression was and stuff like that. That was always interesting, but it's inconclusive because of uh, the way it was handled, unfortunately. And that, that would have been some pretty good trace evidence. For sure. I mean, and I, I don't know how that was missed by everyone. I mean, was it, you know, that's a strange thing that they didn't, see it even see it. it and to me it follows the same lines of protocol that we hear about all the time uh it was handed off it disappeared but before it disappeared we got a report that corroborated it this kind of thing uh ray still has the rock and we think it, there is just enough left on there that with the right equipment perhaps it can get something off of it yeah, oh, crystal that, that's volcanic rock so it's got a lot of you know everything uranium and, and crystals and things but the rock has this melted green smeared crystals and we're wondering you know if the blue flame played over it what could melt these crystals the way they they're melted and so there might still be something on that rock that a scientist could go hmm you know, you, you know, as we always say, if you give them the rock and don't tell them what it is, just tell me what you find. Don't tell them it's the UFO's engine plate over it. But if it has weird properties and, you know, things they can discover, it still might be some evidence for that event. Hmm. That, that would be something else. Um, so at, when 
you know, a lot of a lot of people say they it always comes back to the same thing that this case's validity, the biggest part of the validity is Ronnie Alani Zamora himself, you know, because he was such a stand-up guy, he had such a great reputation, he was a no-nonsense type of guy and all that. Um, do you know that if anyone had ever tried to talk him out of what he saw, you know how I don't know if you heard of, you know, when it comes to Travis Walton and stuff like that, the Philip Glass uh, supposedly offered a check to one of the people there to say it was a hoax, mm -hmm. that type of thing. When it's when the evidence is so compelling in a case like this, you never know if something like that. Well, I mean, happen. he was accused of, of faking it for tourism money, which never. <laughs> yeah, uh, they uh, they even made a fake site to keep people from coming to the real site. And that's barely ever visited. <laughs> uh. And uh, only recently are they trying to put a mural up, and I was blown away that they're using little green aliens holding AR-15s. Oh it's no! Like, who thought of that? And uh, you know, I was like, just there's a lot. You know, I'll tell you what: if they use the Ray's artwork and got permission to use it, which depicts the what Lonnie Zamora saw in the Arroyo with the two little figures and all that, it's a drawing. It's in our book, and uh, that would be a great mural to have because it would represent what actually happened at least not green aliens with AR-15s. <laughs> That's crazy. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. I don't think uh, Socorro's ever really become much of a tourist destination. Right. I, Lonnie, I, to me, Lonnie, Lonnie, Lonnie's life being ruined by it and being reluctant to ever talk about it says a lot. Yeah. The thing is that he was contacted by you know, Japan because the time Japan for a long time, Japan has, you know, sent people over here, reporters and loves UFO stuff because a lot of this happens over there. But he had so many opportunities to make money and be on TV, and he turned them all down because he he said at one point, I'm just sick of it. I'm so tired of it. I don't want to talk about it. And when we interviewed his friends, his friends would say, you never would bring the subject up. They would just talk about regular stuff. But if Lonnie wanted to talk about it, then he'd bring it up and start talking about it. You know, when you say this, that reminds me of uh, Calvin Parker and Charlie Hickson, where Hickson was yeah. in talking about it. Cal did not want to talk about it. So you can see how two people that experience the same thing, one takes one direction, one takes the other. Exactly. Yeah, that does happen. So I, I just want to, uh, I, I shouldn't really give this any any airtime at all, uh, but uh, there are, uh, you know, this is in chat and Causing whoever, whoever uh, said that, it's actually you can hear Lonnie say he saw figures. So go do your homework. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. We have several <laughs> interviews. At the end, he would say the creatures. He would actually name them as the creatures. And we, when we talked to his, uh, he thought they were children talked, at right yeah, at he, first. He thought they were children, right? We think he got a better look than he called them coveralls, but we think he got a better look at him and it freaked him out because he did go to his. A priest and for like two two or three hours that night and had a long talk with him because we think he thought he saw demons as a devout Catholic. But his priest, we found out, had told him, and said, Lonnie, if you tell this story, you can either stop talking about it or tell the truth. And for his entire life, Lonnie told the truth, didn't embellish it, didn't make money off of it, hated the, you know, he would do, he would stop doing interviews for 20 years. And uh, he did sightings, I think, uh, UFO hunters towards the end, which were really good clips. So, you know, if you do a little homework, you'll see that he did talk about two figures that uh, were standing on the craft and, uh, you know, were about four feet tall in white outfits. But I think he saw something. I think he saw something that told him they weren't human. And that's why he was never the same after this. Event. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It is it is a sad thing that he had to it was almost it was a burden to him. This whole thing was a burden to him. And the fact that you is a very good point. He never made any money off this. And that's where, you know, people would like to stand on their soapbox and say, hey, look, you know, he's doing this for the money. But he never made a penny out of it. Right. A lot of people don't realize that this wasn't a one off event. This was happening before and after this event. And what is the most compelling sighting that people have? before or after that people have talked about seeing a similar craft they weren't talked about much but uh, a lot of the other police officers was the yeah yeah famous one la madera had the same uh same shape craft landed four um 
triangular mark, same as Socorro, burnt in the center, blue flame, all the same information. And then in two other cities, uh, I think three or four days before, a little boy saw one, and then a police officer was driving by, wondering why the boy was standing in the street looking up at the sky. He got out, and he saw an egg, white egg-shaped craft with a blue glow around it and broad daylight. And there's like 25 articles in different newspapers like this of different events of an egg-shaped craft. So you're talking about a flap, really. And also yeah. in France, you had the Valensol case that was very reminiscent because it had an egg-shaped craft as well. But it had a separate um, tripod or quad pad that was beneath it that didn't seem connected to the craft. And they, it was it seemed to hover above it, and it moved up, and then the bottom came up after it, which was kind of weird. Huh. Almost like, yeah, that's like a, a lander of some kind. It's similar to it. You know, I mean, it's opposite, but still. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and they really didn't, you know, besides the Tic Tacs, you didn't really hear much about the egg-shaped craft um, other than those those incidents, right? I mean, yeah. there's a handful. There's two things that are strange is you don't get a lot of egg-shaped craft, and you get very few symbols on UFOs, and now you have two yeah. of them one. But, you know, I, I just think, I, personally, I think maybe I, there's probably several civilizations looking at us. So they that's just what they had at that time. Maybe they were passing through this arm of the galaxy, and you know that's the craft they take. You know, come out of a smaller craft. Because I'm of the uh, we've talked about this recently. I'm of the impression that they, there's drones all over the place that come from something bigger that's monitoring us and probably the rest of this you know, this part of the galaxy. But I think they're everywhere, and a lot. You know, maybe it's more than one civilization. That could sound crazy, but all the evidence is starting to. A lot of these videos seem to show, and even the government ones, drones like round craft, you know, the the um, uh, Tic Tacs, the performance capabilities. That's not yep. China. If it was China, you know, we'd be speaking Chinese right now. So, <laughs> so I want to show this just to make it clear out there. Um, this these are the this is a good graphic I just found online of uh, the decoy one is this one, it's clearly marked right here. I'll put this also in the show notes for those of you that are listening to just the audio. Um, so you see in all the, the videos of this throughout time, the one that is the decoy on uh, the screen to the left. And then the genuine is the one that you uh, had come forward with. And actually you have hats made, I have a hat. And there's also, and I think also- you can, you can say it in Spanish, the way it was said, right? Otras con un- Oh, I forget what it is now. Tres, uh, tres lineage. Uh, oh, un V invertado. Un V invertado con tres lineas abajo. Which translates to, to that. And the thing about that is that in my Heineck put one line above and then two in the middle. It was just another variation. So it's either the three across like that or you take one of them and put it just above the point. Uh, so Heineck was was proposing those the one with the umbrella was the decoy. purely decoy yeah yeah i think holder drew that because you know any handwriting expert has said that the whoever drew the symbol is not the same person that signed it lonnie zamora was told to sign it. it's like signed for god and country you know lonnie was a was god and country so he would do what they ask and and we think his partner saw it um, started in Chavez, but he kept thinking it was a black project, and he didn't want to say anything, and he never said anything because he didn't want to get into trouble. Hmm. So when when this uh, was uncovered, that it, I mean, how long ago was this uncovered, the right type of symbol, and, and were there any people that were claiming to see the other one, you know, the copycat type people? Well, I think Ray and Ray and Lonnie were working on that original symbol right from the beginning. Um, he arrived on Tuesday the 26th. That was when he met Heineck and uh, and Lonnie at the site. And right away, I think he was talking about the symbol. Yeah, what, what happened was the symbol came out. The newspaper came out every three days. Really fast, yeah, before they yeah. could stop So it. before they could get in and do all this symbol changing and stuff, the symbol was described to several police officers it was drawn in the paper on the craft uh, that the guy drew a hair of Baca, I think, right. uh, drew a picture of the craft and put the inverted V with three bars that the 
government came and made him erase later. But uh, it got out. The early reports are he saw an inverted V with three bars. And later that became the umbrella symbol, which was a decoy to see who was lying about it. So this happened on the 24th of April, 64. And Heineck was there. And did you say Ray was there also on the, just two days later? Invited mm-hmm. by Heineck, yeah. yeah. Wow, I didn't realize right. it was he that. There. Dre was living in Texas, and he, he drove straight over there. Yeah. Wow. Um, I can't remember when speaking to Ray if he was able to talk to Lonnie several times about this, or did, was he able to interview him at all? Yeah, I think the one of the most uh, impressive things that I heard him say about it when he spoke to Lonnie, Lonnie's daughter was, was looking to um, – uh, to read about the story, and Lonnie had pointed to Ray's book, and he said that's the one that got it right because there were a lot of books written about this case, hmm. and so he instructed his daughter to read uh, Ray Stanford's book. Yeah, Socorro Saucer. Yeah, he and Heineck were were interviewing him when uh, I think they were kind of getting into some good stuff when uh, somebody came in and said that Air Force wants to talk to you now or Blue Book wants to talk to you now, and oh. then. He went to that meeting, and then he came out, and he's like, I can't talk about any guys. Oh, so no. he sat it down right when Ray was there, but he talked to other officers who said, look, the other people have seen this craft. We know what Lonnie said. We believe Lonnie. We're not going to tell anybody if we saw it because of the way Lonnie's being treated. Hmm. Now, it's, it's, you, you said you mentioned the word flap, or one of you did, and that's kind of what it sounds like, you know, like this was all happening you know, there at, at that time. And it, it's a strange, I've always had a, a thought about a situation like this, that it's a very strange thing. Flaps are very strange things to begin with. But like when a certain type of craft is in an area and then you keep, it's still in the area and still in the area, um, it really makes you wonder why, you know, if they could get wherever they are from to here, why would they focus on an area? In no, Virginia, yeah. between 73 and 75, we had a flap. And there were some of the most interesting cases I ever heard of, where you have mm-hmm. following people home. Uh, they would try to mimic the sound of lawnmowers and weird things like that. And, uh, <laughs> lawnmowers? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It seems to conform to wherever the technology is. You had the old top hat shape back in the day, and I don't know. I think these things can morph. It's, uh, you know, for all we know, there's a big craft that can manufacture any shape or change any shape just depending on where they send it. But, uh, you know, the, the, the various shapes tell you that it doesn't matter what they're shaped like. They fly on a completely different principle. And the size of them are so small that they must be packed with technology gathering all kinds of data. But, you know, they're maybe the size of a football or something. That's just amazing. Yeah, it really, it really is. And, you know, people have said, and I'm sure you've heard this, but people have said that they've seen it, sh- you know, I guess you call it shape shift. They've seen things change I mean, shapes. I don't read it to that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole thing about them, you know, the way they vanish, they're not always taking off, but they vanish. That's, it always, you know, it's always an open question to where are these things coming from? Is it another planet? Is it another dimension? You know, it's it's really bizarre. It's what keeps me going is this great mystery. We've got about uh, four minutes left. And so your book is available on Amazon. Um, I have the Kindle version linked in the uh, show notes and and uh, in the YouTube text as well. But are there some other adventures you two are thinking about collaborating on uh, together, whether it's... Uh, uh, books or I know you you have done you both were on uh, was it Hangar One is that Hangar One to, yeah yeah season two but do you have anything going on uh, in the future that you know of we'll be speaking at Mysteries of Space and Sky doing a new pro- a new presentation on exotic propulsion and fast walkers oh excellent and we'll, and we'll soon be working on so on another new um, presentation about uh, pilots. From white sands that saw things oh that's this is is this going way back historically or what is that yes it's gonna hopefully correlate with uh, socorro and many other some real data that's kind of not been out 
That should be fascinating. That's great. So how can uh, can someone reach you? You said you're the UFO guys. Did I hear UFO you say that? that? On Facebook, definitely, yeah. Our book is called Not of This World. Um, it, uh, it's a long title, Not of This World, the 1964 Socorro UFO Landing with Humanoids. But um, type in Not of This World and get there. But we, And we can, in the United States, have signed copies. We can send out of hard copies. You do have hard copies, yeah. yeah. I mean, I only saw it on Amazon and, and Kindle, but it, you can buy it in a in a hard copy book. From me directly. <laughs> you have an email that you want to know? I just go oh, to the just UFO. a Facebook page, yeah. Facebook. Over the UFO guys, yeah, Facebook. Excellent. Yeah, I'm on Facebook also, so you can send me a you know message on Facebook. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to you know we've debated a lot of people about the hoaxes and the people and the, this whole case, so. Anybody yeah, yeah. disagrees, just do a little reading, you know, come to the table with some knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's true. I mean, if you really look deeply into it, you know, that is that is the problem though, and you mentioned it earlier, is you know, when a when a, a debunking is out there, um, when people see it in print or see it however they see it, um, you know, they they just take for granted that that well it must be true. You know, I mean that's that's a problem with the uh, with hoaxes too people can see a hoax and think it's true because it's in it's in print somewhere you know i mean but anyway yeah all you have to do is be a good investigator and keep looking right yeah yes yeah, like we said in the book it's like trying to solve a murder investigation without going to the site of the murder yeah yeah excellent all right guys well thank you so much thanks a lot all Appreciate right and i think i'll see uh at least one of you at the uh, MUFON event. Uh, Tony, I'll see you out there. Yeah, I'll see you there. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Take care. Thanks, guys. Take care. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. All right, everyone. So uh, thanks so much. And next week, we have uh, been waiting to hear back from someone that uh, I, I can't say their name because uh, they haven't confirmed yet. So just uh, if you want to find out who our guest is next week, all you have to do is go to our website, podcastufo.com. On the sidebar, there is a place to put in your email address for the weekly newsletter. I promise you won't get spammed. It's just once a week. We send out uh, who the guest is and who the blog is. And thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky. Mm -hmm.